Holidaymakers planning a trip to Europe last summer received a bit of a blow after June the 23rd. Their £1, which would have got them over €1.30 before the referendum, suddenly became worth a whole lot less. In fact, at one point, a bureau de change at Stansted Airport was offering less than €1 for £1. A similar source of disappointment has been felt by travellers heading to the US, Far East or Australia, as the sterling has devalued against almost all major world currencies. AIM-traded Fairfax is right at the heart of the currency conundrum. It offers foreign exchange services to individuals and businesses in the form of prepaid currency cards, physical currency and wire transfer. Since joining AIM in 2014, Fairfax has grown by roughly 60%, but shareholders have seen their holdings diluted by multiple fundraising rounds. The group's regular trading updates, however, have never failed to impress. I'm Megan Boxall, and in this latest instalment of the IC's podcast series, Boardroom Talk, I'm joined by Ian Strafford-Taylor, co-founder and chief executive of FairFX. Ian, thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me here, Megan. Okay, let's start with just looking at that wider currency marketplace. What sort of implications, if any, has the falling pound had on your business? As we sit here now, we do more business if the sterling is stronger, typically. And we're looking to address that over time. We've opened up in Ireland and we'll be opening up in, in more overseas jurisdictions. So we get both sides of the trade, if you will. Nevertheless, if there's a shock, I think Brexit was a shock, if you will. It went from, you know, that's a big movement in currency. Sooner or later and quite quickly now, uh, people adjust and then it's business as usual. So a rapid dislocation can cause a little bit of a blip. And in fact, if you look at our results for last year, the first half of the year, while everyone was obsessed with what Brexit might do, was a little bit slower, and the second half of the year was much quicker. So once that blip had been absorbed, it was uh, back to growth. The customer numbers are heading in the right direction. Recent trading update um, is showing it's all the, the customers, retail customers up 14%. But actually, that growth is slowing. So in your first interim results announcements back in 2014, that growth rate was 68%. Does that concern you at all? No, because there's different types of customers. In 2014, we were focused more on getting, um, as well as car customers, cash in the post customer. So we do a service where you can get banknotes in the post. That's lower margin for us, much lower margin. So those numbers are inflated with a lot of cash in the post customers. We deprioritized that as a focus for us going forwards. Now we're acquiring customers from which you can make money. It's important, obviously. I mean, we could inflate numbers by adding any customer and paying a silly amount to do it. So we're far more analytical about who we go after, what sort of customers we acquire. So the underlying, the turnover numbers wouldn't increase if you if you weren't acquiring more customers each year. So the it's more than 500,000 customers. Are they now majority cardholders? Yes. Yeah, the majority are. And yeah. each year, the percentage of the new customers you're adding of which are cardholders is increasing. Yeah, okay. So all those customers... Why are you not making a profit? Because <laughs> we offer such fantastic value for money. It's, it's you know, it's uh, when you look at the chain and some of the announcements we've done this week, uh, go to that. As a prepaid card company uh, or a key part of what we do doing that, you need to have an issuing bank. You need to have a program manager. You need to have MasterCard or Visa. You need to have a processor. You need to have someone that produces the physical plastic. And all of those things cost quite a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And we as consumers, myself included, you know, we're, we want to get something for nothing. But there are costs. It's, it's that simple. So we've, it's, it's hard to make significant money while you've got to pay a lot of suppliers. And with the money license that we gained last week and announced last week, suddenly, doesn't mean to say we won't use that supply chain, but we can 
we have choices now. Some of it we can do ourselves, some of it we can cut out. So that'll help widen our margins from where they are now. So in terms of those margins, obviously, like you say, you you have offered the best value or one of the best value cards out there. So in, ter- in terms of how you attract your customers, it is that low... It's part of it. And in fact, you know, another thing, going back to the, the previous question about, you know, whether we make money, we clearly be making money. It's at the bottom line. You're talking yeah. about EBITDA. Um, if you look at a typical customer... Um, and we obviously do a lot of analysis about how sticky they are, you know, and, and if they transact with you in year one, do they in two, three, four, five? And a, a lot of our customers do. Mm-hmm. So whilst we're growing and in growth mode, you tend to be spending money acquiring a customer in year one, but they will pay you back over two, three, four, five years. Um, so each time we do a big marketing spend, you don't see the benefit of that just all in, in year zero. So um, there's almost a sort of built-up cash of revenue stream, which won't come through in a, in a one-year profit figure. Mm-hmm. I think the rate is important, but it's not the only thing. It's got to be easy to become a customer. So you need your onboarding of customers to be simple, very quick. You know, we're all very, very impatient these days. Mm. Uh, easy to use the product once you're signed up and then to feel a little bit of, of love. So we speak to our customers, you know, as and when we think they might need to be spoken to, mm-hmm. give them tips. We send uh, regular newsletters out every time we see Sterling doing something positive, you know, so it might be a good time to top up their card. So mm-hmm. if you combine all of that, then that's why customers come to you and then stay with you. You're not too worried then, or maybe you are, that if your margins do get squeezed or if more competitors come onto the market and you have to offer lower rates to win customers? I mean, obviously, it's not something I'm complacent about. And there's been many competitors come in the space in the last couple of years uh, offering silly rates, and then generally they become sensible eventually. So you're always wary of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends, you know, if you've got a unicorn with silly funding coming along that's able to hold zero rates for an unprecedented period of time, that's something you always have to be wary about. But it's not the only factor. Equally, I think the fact that we've been around now for a while, uh, we're a trusted brand increasingly, counts for quite a lot. You know, yeah. People want to know you're here today, here tomorrow, and that their money's safe and that the product works, um, all of those things come uh, part of the factors. A notable competitor that, well, I've spotted using money supermarket comparisons is WeSwap, which offers the same commission as you do, but actually, at the moment, better rates. But the other thing about WeSwap, what I found, is that they really explain very well how their transactions happen. You've got a guy in Spain who needs pounds, and you're going to Spain and you need euros. You swap. How do those transactions work at FairFX? We swaps, um, that's how they say it could work. It's not how it does work. They, like anyone else, it's not, it's very unlikely they're going to have someone in Spain that wants to change the money at exactly the same moment that you want yours. And uh, like us, they'll be going to a liquidity provider, be it Barclays or another bank, to hedge the other side of their transactions. So it's so much marketing there and they're they're quite good at some of their messages and you know the the swap concept our system itself is built the same way it's a peer-to-peer matching engine right at the bottom of it Mm -hmm. it just so happens that you know the majority of the time it's us on the other side taking the money from Barclays or whomever Mm -hmm. to satisfy that swap but that's their marketing spin on it and it's an interesting concept and just while we're on competitors on the larger end of the market have you got any concerns that some of the bigger players in fintech, such as PayPal or WorldPay, might want a slice of this currency conversion? <laughs> well, um, PayPal are already there in some ways, uh, but you know, if you use PayPal, it's two and a half percent. So 
big companies like that, you know, well, are they prepared to chop their margins? They don't feel they need to. Again, I keep an eye on them, but mm. um, funny enough, you know, we get PayPal calling us up quite regularly for us to add them as a means to load our cards. But, you know, right. given what they charge, you know, they're, they're an expensive provider, believe yeah. it or not. Same with the banks. You know, when we first started out, a lot of people say, well, the banks will just chop their margins to compete but really will they the market in the uk just for travel money alone is 30 billion pounds it's enormous Mm -hmm. you know our turnover numbers you know we're we're making progress but we're not big enough to damage their revenue streams yet as and when we are i think it's the analogy i like to use is uh, maybe easyjet you know as and when you're big enough that ba want to take notice of you then you've already got your reputation and your brand awareness so Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I see us. We're still, we are the challenger to those brands, yeah. uh, but we're not sufficiently irritating yet to, um, to necessitate a response from them. One of the ways you've been challenging is big marketing spend. Is that likely to continue at the same levels that you've seen in the last few years? Uh, I think the answer is we will do the marketing, marketing that we think is necessary. I'm not, I'm not in love with marketing for the sake of it. Mm. Uh, I think you've already reached a slight tipping point in that, you know, when we start up the business, you go onto Google and you do the analytics of how many people search for prepaid travel cards. You know, it's still not something that people instinctively go online to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they book their flights online, they book this online, that online, but not necessarily travel money. And we had to sort of use a sledgehammer to crack the proverbial nut by using TV to like, there is an alternative. And that didn't just benefit us. It probably benefited a lot of our competitors as well. And we've done analysis to see whether there was some sort of uh, misappropriation, if you will, of uh, of our efforts. I don't want to be the champion for the whole industry. You know, I want to make money for my, my shareholders. So um, our mix of marketing will change. We'll do less TV as we go forward, more digital. Now that the search terms are, are getting more traction, then that's the right thing to do. So um uh, so I'm not a slave to spending X amount of money on marketing. Yeah. It's very much now, uh, we've got much better data now. We know what our lifetime value of a customer is. We know what the year one uh, LTV is. We know what it costs to acquire a customer. And if you can set your hurdle rate for acquiring a customer at about the one-year payback, that's sensible, and you'll keep putting more as much marketing spend as you can before you go over that threshold, mm-hmm. and then you'll stop it. I can't tell you off the top of my head what that number will be, mm-hmm. but it'll be significant, but I don't see it rising from where it was in 2016. Okay, so does that mean you're done with raising money on the stock market for the time being? <laughs> never say never. <laughs> we don't need to. We're completely adequately funded, um, so uh, looking out, medium term, uh, we expect to be profitable this year. So for BAU, business as usual, yes, we don't need to go back to the market. Um, should a significant opportunity come up, then we'll consider it. Significant opportunities, you mean like another acquisition? So, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so hence, never say never. Yeah. You know, or, you know, post the money licence, we're looking to get more and more into the, actually, we don't want to call it corporate banking, it's more business banking. So, so banking uh, services for SMEs, if that we gain traction in that, and again, we can see that if we put a significant amount of money into marketing that, that it yeah. would yield returns, then we may go back to the market. I don't anticipate it at this, at this moment in time. So the business side of things, that corporate part of Fairfax's thing, business, that is something that you want to grow. What, how does it differ from the retail? Um, it differs in that a lot of similarities on the card side. However, with a corporate, 
we give them a platform. The corporate can issue cars to employees, contractors, whoever they want, uh, load them, unload them, effectively run a balance with them, do all their expenses for all their uh, various people on one platform. And each individual cardholder also gets their own login. And they can do their expenses in our platform, download it to Excel. It just removes all that paperwork. Mm-hmm. You know, We've all worked at various places and there's different ways of doing your expenses on your own card, on a corporate credit card, bits of paper, stapling receipts. It all takes time. We can remove all of that. So that is very powerful, especially to SMEs. Uh, we see also when people take the product, their travel entertainment expense goes down by 15 20%. So the direct saving from them. So why wouldn't you take it? And it's uh, the beauty of the corporate product. The real difference between that and the retail product is that we make the corporate card free to use in the UK. So for a company in London that only has people traveling around in the UK, the card's perfect, you know, as an alternative to a Barclay card or an Amex. So contracts like, for for example, the one that you, you flagged, it was the Leicester City contract. Um, does that fall into the corporate side of things? No, that's, uh, there's corporate uh, in terms of the e-money and the card side, yeah. which is ultimately what we want to create for businesses is a complete e-payments platform. So they can mm-hmm. do everything they want on one platform, be it FX or not. So that's why uh, part of the announcement was this will help diversify earnings. So rather than being reliant on people changing money into foreign currency, it's sterling, sterling. So there'll be more of that. The Leicester City type deal, we call it dealing, you can call it whatever you like, but you know, that's the bigger transactions where someone's wiring, you know, they buy a player and you know, they need to convert 10 million pounds into euros. That's our dealing revenue, that's sort of the lower tech end of it. But if you acquire a load of customers, on the card or on via the corporate platform that are using you and at any moment in time be there an individual buying i don't know a villa or something like that or you know who knows what um or a football club buying a player they'll use you because they trust you and you provide all those services in one platform that's mm-hmm. kind of kind of the idea okay so less city have used you for every new player they've signed indeed from- in the last, so, in the last uh, six, seven months, yeah. Okay, so the 2016-17 season. Mm. I've been doing very well, though, this year. <laughs> well, they're not my club. I support Everton <laughs> for my sins, but um, no, they're not. But um, I guess <laughs> that means <laughs> they, they might need to buy more players than mine, <laughs> they, which is no bad thing for us. Uh, but actually, it's interesting you bring that up because the traditional model, you know, for a club like Leicester or any Premier League club would be some foreign exchange company would just hand them a cheque for the privilege of doing their business. We didn't do a deal like that. We're not, it was just crazy. Yeah. Uh, we did a deal with them such that we are their exclusive provider of FX. We do it at a very, very, very competitive spread. So, you know, they can see they've saved money versus using uh, their incumbent bank. So that's the revenue stream rather than printing them a cheque, if, if you will. And then together, we're trying to sign up more corporates in the Leicester area to Fair FX, okay. and we split the revenue. So it's kind of a proper partnership rather than a sponsorship, mm, okay. if that makes sense. Is that the kind a kind of contract partnership that you would look to replicate with another football club? Another Not necessarily another football club. Right. Um, what I liked about Leicester was that everybody, even if they were an ardent fan of another team, yeah. could get behind that particular story, at least for one year. Um, so, you know, if you signed up Liverpool, no one in Manchester would use you, for instance. So... 
Yeah, no, I'm not in a desperate hurry unless okay. it's compelling to, to sign another football club. Um, but other sports, if you can find that sort of story, something that resonates, you know, you want to put yourself next to brands that somehow reflect the yeah. character of your own brand. So did that contract sort of almost feed into the marketing side of things as well? Because it did help the brand awareness. There was a definite, uh, especially on the corporate side, there was a definite positive effect yeah. by making that announcement that, that we'd hooked up with yeah. um, with Leicester City. Just finally, you've spoken recently, we kind of touched on it at the start as well, about the changes in the company's infrastructure. Um, this is something that um, was in a recent update. The, the company has now passed the critical mass at which it has the operational efficiency to insource <laughs> many processes. What does that mean? Did you like that? Yeah. <laughs> that was me <laughs> that came up with that wording. I... As I alluded to earlier, you know, if we start up a, a company today that wants to uh, shift prepaid cards that uh, are foreign currency denominated, you have to have a lot of pieces in that chain. And MasterCard probably won't even know who you are. We have very good relationships with MasterCard. We are of a size, our programs are of a size that it's meaningful. So, for instance, Wirecard's our issuer. If Wirecard didn't have our volume, they'd be at a different tier with MasterCard. So we're significant for them. So it gives us leverage with them, with MasterCard, with all the various people in the chain, because they all want to get your program. Mm -hmm. Now with the money license, you've got even more leverage because you you can point to the fact, well, we could do this ourselves. There's actually costs of doing it. You've got to capitalize it, blah, blah, blah. But it, it just widens the scope of what you can do with your cost base. Mm -hmm. So the e-money license, what does that allow you to do that you couldn't do before? Well, for Start BRO initially, we couldn't do that. So uh, to be an issuing bank, you had to have an e-money license Mm -hmm. as a a minimum. Ultimately, what it allows us to do, and this was, you know, a couple of years ago, it used to be only banks were allowed to have uh, like a sort code and account numbers. Mm -hmm. We as non-banks now can do that. Mm -hmm. So as an e-money license holder... The nirvana for us will be offering, especially starting with corporates, the ability for corporate to have a bank account with us to have, so and everything that, that, that's, that comes with it. So a key area, let's imagine uh, you're an IT contractor, you suddenly decide to go freelance, typically you set yourself up in a company. And then you go trundling along to Barclays or a high street bank and say, I want to set up an account in the name of this company. It could take you three weeks to do that. Mm. You know, we could do that in minutes. So providing services to SMEs are all typically time poor. It's a competing area that banks almost state they don't really want to bank. You know, they're interested in bigger clients that pay them decent amounts of money. We could do none of that without an e-money license. Now we can. Well, that certainly sounds like an interesting new part of the business. Ian Stratford-Taylor, thanks very much for your time today. Next time on Boardroom Talk, Mark Robinson will be talking to another small cap company with big growth plans, Red Tea Energy. I've been Megan Boxall. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.